Good morning, City Life. Welcome to church. Welcome to City Life. Welcome to City Lifers and visitors. We're glad that you're here. Welcome. Welcome to church. Welcome to our Sunday worship service. Uh, my name is Pedro Reese, and I have to start off this way wishing my mom a happy, happy birthday. Mom, uh, from speaking on my end and everyone in the family, like, thank you. You make our lives rich. Happy birthday. Today we celebrate you. And uh, we'll see you in a few hours with the kids. They're very excited. And so for all of you who are not my mom, welcome to church. I'm glad that you're here again. My name is Pedro Reese, and I'm the lead pastor here at City Life. And uh, if you're here for the first time or still checking us out, if you weren't here last week, uh, today is sermon number two in our brand new sermon series called Sexuality, Know, know and Be Known. Uh, we're talking about this term sexuality, and we know that that means a lot. I highly encourage any of you who weren't here last week and who are interested in what we have preached today to check out last week's sermons. We'll link it in the notes below. Uh, but like we are starting this big, complex, intimate topic of sexuality because honestly the church is too quiet on this. Uh, the church does not speak about this. And then we're left in the dark, not knowing what to do with it and not knowing all of what makes it such a complex, big, intimate issue. And so as a church, we're, we're talking about it. We're going there because there's no reason to be afraid of it. We are much more discipled by fear on this subject than we are by scripture or conversation or like having a safe place in the church to talk about faith and sexuality. And so we started this series. And we have four pillars, right? Uh, before I for the, say the pillars, like I know that whenever we say the word sexuality, it often gets reduced into one or two or a handful of topics. And we are going to speak about some of those topics, many of those topics, right? We are going to talk about sex before marriage, because Scripture talks about that. We're going to talk about a marital relationship, a, a marital covenant, uh, and sexuality within it. Yeah, we're, we're going to talk about it. We are going to talk about same-sex attraction and what Scripture has to say, uh, but like fundamentally, this sermon series is not on one topic. It's not on behavior. It's on being. It's like my, our beings, how God has made us, and connection. God has made us to be sexual beings. It's like, because oh, we have all been made to want to know and be known by God and other people. And that brings us really neatly into our first pillar, four pillars to like govern and guide and, and um, organize this sermon series. The first one being that we are sexual and, sorry, we are spiritual and sexual beings. Like God has made us to be this way. Last week we looked at the creation story and the story of the fall, Genesis 1, Genesis 3. And God has made us to be this way. And we define, again, hear that, like I would really encourage you to hear that first sermon series, the first sermon in the series. We define spirituality and sexuality and on these terms that I'm using now, but like God has made us fundamentally to carry his image. And a big part of what Genesis 1 gives us about that image is that it's relational and it's also like both male, female, like just like crazy, wonderful that God would put himself in that much diversity, right? Like put the, his image in us to be relational and also to be men and women and together each equally holding the image. It's like crazy. 
And God could have made it any other way. He could have envisioned all of this. His infinite creativity landed on this. Like this is the best expression for us to embody his image and live it out. And so like sexuality, spirituality aren't results of the fall, especially sexuality. It's not because of sin. It was here before, given to us and called very good. So pillar number one, we are spiritual and sexual beings. Pillar number two, that every sermon series should be about pillar number two, but like we want to be explicit in this one, that this sermon series is an effort to form disciples. It's a disciple-making series into the biblical worldview, right? As believers, we say this, and it can't just be something that we say. We have to let it be so. Scripture forms me. Scripture forms us. Scripture is God's word given to us so that we would be formed in his likeness, right? So that we would look more like Christ. And so this story, this narrative gets to tell me about life. And this story is like really adequately beautiful at helping us go through all of life's most complex issues. And so we're going to let Scripture speak to us and form us in this series. Not afraid of what it'll say because it preaches truth and love. Uh, third pillar in our sermon series is that as a church, we are going to say something meaningful about sexuality because this is what happens. Sexuality is this topic that even if you might not have never been told, this is what we learn. Don't talk about it. It's dirty. It's complex. It's icky. Like, don't talk. Just avoid. Pretend like we're not sexual beings, right? Pretend like everything's okay, even though we live for five minutes and we realize it's not okay and we experience brokenness, we ourselves are broken, and we read about stories, or unfortunately go through stories of abuse and manipulation inside the church and in the world, and like it. We are often left in the dark, right, as believers. Like, what do we think about? What are we talking? So we need to say something to learn and to have conversations and to create a safe place in this church. We also need to say something because the world outside, like, is watching. And like we can never have meaningful, honest, real conversations or relationships with people, whether they agree with us or not, on this subject, if we are too afraid to even just say something. Like I, in this series, like I, I, we're going to make this clear. We're going to preach scripture, and like I believe in the traditional Christian ethics about this, but like living it out is radical and beautiful and loving. And so, like, how do we say something meaningful so that we can? interact and love and welcome people into our lives who believe the total opposite and like let something real happen it won't happen if we're just avoiding it and then lastly the last pillar is that i pray that we find like experience deep profound emotional spiritual healing in this series we have all been touched by the brokenness of sexuality and so how do we let God, like, minister to us, as we also long to minister to a, a world that is sexually broken and confused. Right, how do we, like, live in this complex issue and find real healing and then offer the world real healing, not change or I won't accept you, but, like, oh, like how do we go after something really real with Christ and with one another? I pray that we find really big healing. 
And so those are our pillars. That's what this sermon series is about. It's like not about any one behavior, even though it's all wrapped up and we will discuss some of them at least. But like, how do we think about who God has made us to be and then live in this complex issue in a world that is confused and hurting? And so what do we say today? Last week, we like really just started this off. We defined some really big things. We talked about the, or what early scripture has to say, Genesis 1, Genesis 3 on the matter right, that God did this all, his infinite creativity led to this, and like we are who we are because of the decisions that he made that are perfect and good and called good by him. And so what do we do with all this? Like it doesn't take long for us to realize that there's something broken in our sexuality in this world. And so like what did God do? Like uh, we had a different plan for the course of when this sermon would come in this series. And after last week, I was just like, okay, like we need to address this right now because like we all know that this is somehow broken. And so how do we live in the complexity? Like, what did Jesus do? Right? Actually, we say that, like, 2022 is so liberal and advanced and progressive, right? But it, like, actually looks a lot like Jesus' world. It, like, looked a lot like the world that Jesus was in. Maybe not in Israel, but in greater Roman society. Like, it looked fairly similar. And so what, how do we live lives in the complexity? And this is our big idea. This is like what we're focusing on for this week. Is this, is this statement. Jesus gained a reputation by caring for those with reputations so that grace would make a way for care and truth to undo sin. I'll say that again. Jesus gained a reputation by caring for those with reputations so that grace would make a way for care and truth to undo sin. Like, well, if Jesus, our Lord, our example, like our Messiah, our Master, the one we're supposed to look like in all things, how did he deal with a sexually broken, sexually, like, confused world? How did he deal with us in our brokenness in this area of our being? Like, Jesus... The creator of all the world, right? Holiness incarnate, the, the invisible, the visible representation of an invisible God, right? He cared for those with reputations. And he cared so deeply and like to such an extent that it opened up the way always for care and truth to both come and undo what sin does. Like Jesus, the preeminent one, the perfect one, the holy one, the sinless man. He is the morning star. He's the bread of life. He's the living water. All of these metaphors that we say about Jesus, like how did Jesus reach out to us and interact with us in our brokenness? And this isn't a sermon series, a sermon like designated for people who are not believers, not like us too, like believers and non-believers alike. How did he interact with us with our sexual brokenness? How did his grace go further beyond like what we would expect and what we are usually honestly willing to offer to others so that care and truth both come and change our lives? We're going to look at a story too. Actually, before that, like Deborah Hirsch, one of my best friends now, who I, I will be quoting a lot in the sermon series, she writes this. And while it might seem that Jesus walked closer to the line than would most religious men I know, his actions were not reckless, but redemptive. Like, how did Jesus, like, how did his grace, the extent of his grace, reach us broken people 
and bring us care, true care and also his truth that changed people's lives when he encountered them. Today we're going to look at this grace and how it opens the door to care and to truth to come and change us to our core and like make us fall in love with him. And so we're going to read from John chapter 8. We're going to look at another story a little later, but uh, this is our primary text for today. John chapter 8. We're going to read starting in verse 1 until 11. This is the word of the Lord. It says this, Early in the morning he came again to the temple. All the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery, and placing her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say? This they said to test him, that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more he bent down and wrote on the ground. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. And from now on, sin no more. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this day. And I thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you how your grace goes for way further beyond what we would expect or what like, seems even natural to us, Lord. I thank you that like, this is how you save every single one of us, your grace that opens the door to care and to truth. Lord, I pray especially for this topic. Holy Spirit, I invite you into the preaching of your word, into the hearing and digesting of your word. Like, Lord, like make us to be people who experience this grace and this care and live in your truth. Lord, we love you. I thank you. Um, do the work that only you can do. Do this deep work on a complex issue that we are all like a feel often like we are in like the dark looking for the best way to do this. We love you. We give you all things. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So our to first topic is to talk about the woman caught in adultery. Now I know I just read this, but I like I, every week after week, like I'm constantly reminded like we can't just read this. Like it's it's something on a page. We have to like put ourselves in the story, we have to like feel what is happening. We have to put ourselves in the midst of what happens here. And so let's just like recap this story and see what Jesus was doing because there's so much in this context. All right, so Jesus is at the temple again. He's there and he's teaching. People come to him like they always do and he teaches them. And then a group of men led by the, some scribes and some Pharisees bring this woman to him who's been caught in an act of adultery and for some reason, this like, must have been some miraculous act of adultery that she was caught in because I don't read anything about an adulterous man in here. I only read about an adulterous woman. Right? Pretty interesting that this, this adulterous act was done by one person. It seems pretty like, miraculous to me. 
but we only read of this one woman. This woman is brought before Jesus and this whole group of people. It says that she was placed in their midst of Jesus and the whole crowd, and everyone was there. And she's formally accused, and all of this is to put Jesus to the test, right? Like, clearly their actions show that they have no concern for this woman, right? They don't care about her at all. All they want to do is test Jesus. And they bring her to this public space, to the temple, and they're really just there for a show. Like, they want a show. They want to trap Jesus, or they want to, like, show people what they can do to this woman. And Jesus, because he's Jesus and knows how to deal with these type of men all the time, he gives them a show, but it's like the show that they were not expecting. They had no idea what Jesus was up to. And so Jesus is like, okay, like you want a show? Okay, let's, let's, let's make a show out of this. Let me take this attention off of this woman. He takes a knee. He takes a knee and he starts writing with his finger on the ground, which, fun fact, like, is like, so beautiful. Like, I, I love this detail that's included here. Like, I love how this is a shout-out all the way to, back to Exodus 31. When God was writing the tablets, uh, the Ten Commandment tablets, it says, Exodus 31, verse 18, it says, And he gave to Moses, when he had finished speaking with him on Mount Sinai, the two tablets of the testimony, tablets of stone written with the finger of God. Like, ugh, like I love that shout-out, like linking Jesus back to the God, to, back to Yahweh, who wrote the tablets with his fingers. Like here we see him in the New Testament offering care and protection and grace to this woman by writing, touching the dirt, right? Feeling earth and like just getting dirty with us. Like him himself, he never got dirty. He was spotless and he was like clean at all times. Not physically, obviously he got dirty with the dirt, but like oh, he's like willing to get in the mud with us. I just like, I love how this, like, Jesus is the incarnation of God. Like, we don't have to ever ask the questions, what's important to God? We look at Jesus and we see it because he's God. It's just so beautiful to me. But, but back to the story. He's there, he's writing on the ground, and, and we don't know what he writes. There's a lot of really good theories out there, some of which are my favorites, like are quoting some of the Ten Commandments. Uh, and they're like really nice, but that's, the point isn't for us to really know what was writing. We would have been told if that was important. But they were like, what I love about this is Jesus is taking the attention off of this like woman, right? Who was scared, who was caught in an act that she knew she shouldn't be doing, right? But she's like, who knows if she was like fully clothed? Who knows what these men were doing to her? Who knows the faces and the screams that would haunt her after this? And like Jesus doesn't want that for her, and he's putting the attention on him. Not because he loves the show or like, he's protecting her. He's like, okay, like you want to show? Like, look at me. I'm touching the ground. I'm doing all these things. Like, I love that. And then after he's doing that, he looks to this like bloodthirsty crowd of men and he says something. He speaks to them for the first time. He's like, let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw the stone at her. Like, okay, like, sure. Yeah, the law does say that. Who's going to start? Who here is sinless? Start throwing. Like, if you're sinless, start throwing it. Like, yeah, sure. You wanted a show? Let's go. Right? Okay. Whoever one, whichever one of you has not sinned, pick up a stone. Let's start this. Let's start this process. And then Jesus takes a knee again. He goes to the ground. And then in verse 9, it says that they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Like, beautiful. Right? Like, how do you disarm 
bloodthirsty group of men. Jesus disarmed them all perfectly. He gave them a show that was, it was not the show they wanted. And one by one, they leave. Right? Or at least rightfully so. No one there knew, everyone there knew that they were not sinless. Starting with the older men, they leave. And the crowd goes away. And exactly what Jesus said happens. Right? He said, whichever one of you is sinless, throw the first stone. And everyone leaves except for the woman who stays and the only sinless man to have ever lived. Right? It, like, beautiful. That makes sense. Jesus was sinless and spotless and perfect and God incarnate. And it was there. The only person who could have thrown a stone, and yet he does not. Uh, let's just think about that. Right? He says, who, like, who among you has not sinned? Throw the first stone. Let's go. Let's get this show on the road. Until... This woman was in front of the only sinless man, but he was not going to throw a single stone. This is what he does instead. In this private moment, he speaks to her. Like he, he has this intimate exchange with her. He offers her grace in this moment, grace that like would surprise every single one of us. And in that moment of grace, in that moment of intimacy, in that private exchange between a man and a woman that was like not common and also really not usually acceptable in their culture, Jesus is showing her and offering her and like practicing grace with her while bringing her deep care and then truth. He says, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And she says, no one, Lord the maker of all things, perfect, humble Savior, says, neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. And I just, like, I love this. Like, how is that not perfectly God, right? Like, is Romans 8, 1 actually true in Jesus? Like, do we, is Romans 8, 1, like, actually more than just a cute slogan that the church uses like right in our sexual sin and confusion and brokenness like is Romans 8 1 actually true in Jesus Romans 8 1 says there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus like wow like could that like even extend into our sexuality into like this sexually confused world into this world that like has all of these different opinions like that if we are in Christ there's no condemnation like oh, like that's surprising and shocking, and that should like still be shocking to us, no matter if you've been a Christian for a week, a day, or 10 years, or a couple of decades. And just to be really clear, the word condemnation means to express complete disapproval of. My God, the one person who could actually throw a stone and who could actually rightfully condemn her does not. That's beautiful. That's like important. And so like the, that, what I like, want to preach for us in our church today is that like, we often, the church often, and maybe not like us, city life, but like the church to people who are not in Christ, who see what we do, and rightfully the reputation that we earn most of the time, like most of our reputation on this issue is rightfully earned, right? We have been really bad to a lot of people in the realm of sexuality for a very long time. And so most of it is earned. But like we honestly and like we really do a lot of the times look 
more like the scribes and the Pharisees. We say to people in sexual sin, like the people who don't know like the scripture standard or who like are just lost and confused. Like we say, behave like us and then we will care and show grace and be accepted, right? We say like, look like we do and then you'll be accepted. Put your life together. Stop doing that thing. Like, I, okay, like, I can understand you're in addiction, but, like, stop doing that right now, and then, yeah, like, I'll give you grace, and I'll, I'll bring you in. Like, be, quote-unquote, be normal. Like, think like me. Be attracted to the same people I am. Like, do things the normal way. Do things our way, and then we will love you. We often look like that. But when, like, the actual way of Jesus seems very different in this story with somebody who had a big reputation. Jesus, this is what Jesus did. He says, I'll meet you exactly where you are. He met that woman exactly where she was. He says, I'll shelter you. I'll protect you from the mob. Like, I will, I'll protect you. I'll have a real moment with you. I'll like, have this real intimate exchange with you. I'll restore your dignity. I won't turn you into a show. I like won't do all these things in front of everyone. But in an intimate moment, you know what? I'll, I'll bring you care and I'll also give you truth. In this example, we see Jesus. I'll protect you. I'll care for you. And then I'll correct you. Like I'll give you truth. But not in front of everyone. I won't turn you into a show. Like I, I, I don't need that to have people look at me. And I just like love how Jesus does this. And if you're like tempted to think, oh, okay, like one, this is one story where Jesus does that. Like Jesus meets sexually broken people all the time. Let's briefly talk about another story right now. And then we'll, we'll talk about the woman at the well. Just a few ver- chapters before our chapter that we already read. In John chapter 4, God has another beautiful exchange with a sexually broken woman. Right? I, I don't want to also like even into like ooh, leave it out there. Uh, this, these stories are two particular stories and they're beautiful. That's why we share them. But uh, I, I honestly don't think that there's any validity to what the church like often says that women are sexually weaker than men. Like let's like let's get rid of that. That has no place in our theology or in our thoughts. Right? These are just two beautifully striking stories that like Jesus tells in his story because like they're really meaningful and culturally they like pack so much but in chapter 4 of John a lot of things happen and I'm trying to do this really briefly Jesus wants to leave Judah and usually the good Jewish way to get there would be to go around Samaria but because like Jesus doesn't usually play those games he goes right through Samaria and he stops at a town called Sakaar. Sakaar is important because Jacob's well is there And they get there, and they've been traveling for a long time. They get there at around noon, this says. It says the sixth hour, which is around noon. And Jesus tired, right? Physically tired because Jesus was human, just like us as well. And he goes to the well. He sends his disciples to go get them food. So he's alone at this well, and he sees a woman there alone at noon, important context. And he says, give give me a drink. 
and they have this exchange, right? The reason why we don't always think of this story in terms of in like with a sexual lens, but a lot of this is actually like like it's a big part of the story. Uh, he says, "Give me a drink," and they have this exchange, like, oh, "Okay, you're Jewish, and I'm Samaritan. Like, why are you even talking about me?" Most of that is political, ethnic, right? The ongoing struggles between what it meant to be Jewish and what it meant to be a Samaritan. But he like says, "Give me a drink." And they have this exchange, and Jesus says this, If you knew the gift of God, and who is it that's saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. And he goes on to explain, like, living water is, is like this water that if you drink it, you'll never go thirsty again. Jesus talking about deeper parts of living, right? And her response to this is, Sir, give me this water, so that I will not be thirsty and have to come here to, here to draw water. It's interesting, right? That's like really interesting. But then when we understand more of the context of here, this woman was a woman of reputation, just like our adulterous woman. There we go. See, here's some of the context. Like they were at this well at noon. Women in this day, even in Samaritan, would never go to a well during noon. That's the hottest point of the day. That's like when you will not be there. Women would go in the morning, fill their jars, and bring them home. But this woman was not welcome. She like, could not go with the rest of the women. She was either not permitted to or like, not welcome to. That's important. She was a woman of reputation. Because then right after this, Jesus says, like, really out of left field. It seems out of left field for us. And culturally, it was super inappropriate in the day. He says this to her. He says, go call your husband and come here. I'm like, okay, out of left field. But then this is why, like, this is such a, a beautiful story of God's humanity and his divinity, like, just matching up, like, the Holy Spirit setting up this special, intimate time. Her response to this is, like, I have no husband. And Jesus, because he knows, because this is a divine, sacred moment, he's like, you're right. You know what? It's not your husband. The man you're living with is not your husband. And actually, you've had five other husbands before him. It's like, oh, okay, okay. We know why she has this reputation. She's a sexually like broken woman. Like this story answers to us so many questions of like, oh, what about the realities of life, right? Like, what about using our bodies to get by? Like a lot, like a lot of that is in the story of like how God would deal with that. And He's like, you know, I'm like, go call your husband. But this is the beautiful thing. This is what I like. What I want to highlight for us today. Jesus broke every cultural norm almost imaginable in this exchange with this woman. Like, let me list a few. Jesus, a Jewish man, spoke to a Samaritan. Big time. He spoke to a Samaritan woman. Big time. He spoke to a Samaritan woman alone, right? That didn't even happen with Jewish women. Like, that's, Jesus, like, you're shocking. He spoke to a Samaritan woman alone at the well. There are stories from the Old Testament of meeting spouses at the well. The well was this sexually charged area. Like, oh, okay, like this story is getting even worse and worse for Jesus, right? He spoke to a Samaritan woman alone at the well as a woman who had a big reputation, who is not welcome to be there, who like gets around, who has multiple husbands, who is now with a man that's not even her husband. Like, oh. And guess what? Jesus knew this. Divinely, the Holy Spirit, they set up this moment. Jesus like went to Samarita, Samarita, Samaria, maybe even just to reach this one woman. And do you know what he did? 
he offered, he knew all this and he offered her living water. He met her exactly where she was at. And she didn't have to change her whole life before he cared. He brought grace and he cared and also brought truth to her. Uh, even his disciples were shocked. In, in verse 27, the disciples come back and says, They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, What do you seek? Or, Why are you talking to her? Right? It was like shocking, even to his disciples, who had been with him for a bit now and seen that Jesus is not afraid of breaking cultural rules that like, keep people from the kingdom. But in this act and in the other act, we see Jesus bring grace, like a grace that is surprisingly much further than we are comfortable going to, and how that grace opens up the door for care and for truth. Following the story, this woman becomes the first Samaritan evangelist. In verse 29, she like goes back to town. She leaves her jar of water there, and she goes back to town. And she's like just screaming, Come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? Right? Her message, she collects all these people, this lady with a reputation whose word was worthless. She wasn't even welcome with the other women to go get water. Like goes around town, is like, Come, see this man. He might be the Christ. He told me everything I ever did. And somehow, like that, what started off at shame turned into an evangelistic call. And at the end of all this, verse 39, it says, Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. Beautiful. Like it is utterly, shockingly beautiful that Jesus meets sexually broken people by offering grace. And that grace opens the door to care and then to truth. So let's conclude this all because I know we're like already, already running pretty late. Let's conclude by like bringing up two different points. I just want to like from these two stories highlight two things that I like believe should inform the way we ourselves deal with our brokenness, how we receive God's grace for ourselves and within the church and for everyone who does not even know Christ yet. The first thing is that Jesus' grace oversteps cultural lines that keep people from receiving his care, but he never oversteps God's appropriate boundaries. Right? Listen to this quote from Deborah Hirsch. Jesus had an uncanny ability to be close to both women and men, physically and emotionally, without violating his or their sexual integrity. Not only that, when the sexually broken encounter him, his very presence brings with it the offer of freedom. Like I love how Jesus' pattern with our sin pattern is grace opens the door to care and truth together. And how like that repeatedly ch changes people's lives who are sexually broken in sexual immorality, not living the way that God has like told us to. It's not by us like wagging our fingers and being really loud and like, pick, like having signs at people's events. It's like now like grace that goes far beyond what we're even comfortable with, that oversteps cultural boundaries without overstepping God's boundaries. Right? Jesus, is, Jesus was the whole, like, the most sexually whole man, and like, he never was inappropriate with another person, man or woman. And every, like, the people who were broken and met him felt safe and cared for by him. But he pushed through cultural lines 
had nothing to do with the kingdom or the gospel without ever being inappropriate, without ever overstepping God's boundaries. Like if we learn to be people who like receive that grace, like, Lord, just shower us with your grace so that we have peace with your love, your care, and your truth, that we would be formed to look like people like you. And then point number two in our conclusion is that Jesus didn't offer, only offer an unrestricted grace, right? The biblical worldview is not that everything's permitted, but that grace opens the door to care and truth. Like that, like, is beautiful. To the woman with adultery, right? It would not have been loving if he says, okay, like, just go back and do some more, right? No, the last thing he says to her is go and sin no more. There's correction in Jesus, but it comes like after we're confronted with a shocking amount of grace and care, right? There's truth there. We offer people a distorted version of the gospel, a distorted version of Jesus, if we don't like tell people about what this book says, about like what is appropriate in the eyes of God, but that only comes after grace and care. Right? It only comes in relationship, in intimate moments. Right? It's cheap if we're just screaming at people and say, change or look like me or do things like I do. Like right now, you have to behave to belong. Right? Like that never really works. That has never worked for you when, it has, when will it work for other people. But like Jesus' shocking effort of loving us who are sexually broken, us people with reputations, is that his grace goes further than we could have ever imagined. And his care comes with truth as well. And like that is a combination that Jesus powerfully says. He used the testimony of a Samaritan woman who was known as a, like a, a loose woman, right? Who had six husbands, who was, had no reputation. She could not even be around other women. And she brought people to Christ because her testimony was this person told me everything I did. And like also gave me truth. And so church... I, I pray that like, we understand that Jesus gained a reputation because he helped people with reputation. And like, we should be people who push ourselves to understand this grace as we bring people care and truth. And that's like one of the biggest desires I have for this whole sermon series is like we have to be people who actually like know what this says. Like we have to have a healthy view of how the scriptural, like biblical worldview on like who I am so that I can bring other people peace and comfort so that I can be with people in complex situations and be like, okay, like Jesus loves you. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Like I don't have easy answers for you, but I have love I have a relationship. I have my life. Let's like figure it out together. And it's like way more complex than that, and usually way more painful than that. But like that's what that's the example that Jesus gives gives us over and over and over again. He'll meet us exactly where we're at. His grace will be shocking and deep, and it opens up the way for care and truth to come. Both we need all three of those in the perfect Jesus combination. And so let us be people who show grace to ourselves, to one another, to people who are, don't know Christ yet. Because the grace will open up the door for 
care for truth. And so church, uh, we're going to continue to speak about this in our MCs this week. If you're not connected to an MC, email us at info at citylifenj.com. Email me at pereese at citylifenj.com. Like, we want to get you connected. Sure, like you, it might be nice to hear these the sermons, but like we need to digest them and talk about them in community because there's so much more that I would love to say, but I've run out of time. And so church, we love you all. And uh, we'll see you. Email us. We'll see each other. Email me. We'll get a cup of coffee this week. It's like what we're here for. So we love you, and we'll see each other next week. Like let, Let's let God's grace surprise even us as he brings care and truth into our lives as we're formed into the biblical worldview of being sexually whole beings. All right. Love you. See you soon.